Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Welcome to the Defender Bible Study podcast. Today is Monday, March 24th, 2021. This is Chris Johnson, the National Director of Church Partnerships for Lifeline Children's Services, and today we're going to be continuing our study in 1 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bible today, go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking today at verses 23 through 28. So the end of the book, we'll be completing 1 Thessalonians and getting ready to move into 2 Thessalonians uh, in our next uh, time together. We have seen so clearly in this book how much Paul loved the believers at Thessalonica. Uh, They were young, new in their faith. They were living in the midst of a pagan people, and we see over and over again his heart for them, his prayers for them, his desire to see them walk in truth. Um, One of the things that we see characteristic of the people at Thessalonica is they had much anxiety over their circumstances. Um, they had so many questions regarding just, just what would happen next. And because of just being this, this whole idea of faith in Christ being so new to them, what would, what was coming next in this process? What would happen to those who had died before the return of Christ? Um, and then ultimately what would that day of the Lord look like? What would Christ's return look like for them and for others around them? And so Paul spends the first half of this book, first part of this book, really just expressing his love and concern for them. Again, we see that he prays earnestly for them, he encourages them, um, he praises them for their faith, their steadfastness, their love one for another. He just continues to uh, just kind of commend them for for uh, the, the steps that they are making in their walk with Christ and this new found faith that they are living out. But then he spends the, the second half of the book challenging them. And that's typically the way that Paul writes. He'll kind of take the first half either to just give us kind of doctrinal truth uh, or encouragement, and then the second half to kind of challenge us and spur us on <clears throat> to good works. That's, that's pretty typical of Paul's writings. But here in the, the last couple chapters of this book, we have seen how that he, he calls them to walk differently from the world around them. Um, he challenges them. Chapter 4, we saw uh, several different ways that he challenged them. He challenged them to, to walk in holiness and moral purity, to, to keep their bodies clean and pure before the Lord, to not allow uh, sexual desires and temptations to drive them. He encouraged them to, to grow deeper in their love one for another. Remember, he told them, hey, you're, you're doing this well, and I, and I don't really have to tell you because this is something that's innate in you because of your faith in Christ, but I want to challenge you and encourage you to go even deeper in your love one for another. Uh, he instructed them to practice honesty and to, to have a strong work ethic and in their in the workplace to, to not abandon their responsibilities, to not abandon what they've been called to do, uh, but to stay faithful and to, to work hard and to, uh, to, to walk in honesty in front of those uh, around so that they would be a witness to those who are outside of the faith. He, he speaks of the hope uh, that will sustain through tough times and through times of grief over the death of their loved ones. And so he gives that perspective of, yes, we sorrow, yes, we grieve, but as, as Christ followers, we don't grieve as those who do not have hope. We have hope. Uh, and that hope is ultimately found in the return of Christ. And so he challenges them to be prepared for Christ's return, to be watching for Christ's return, to be ready for that day of the Lord. Um, and then he, he reminds them, we see in chapter 5, just how to get along 
with one another, how to spur one another on to good deeds. And as we saw last time, he challenges them to just live out the basics of the Christian life. To, to He kind of gives this basic list, as, as we saw in the, in the last few verses, of these to-dos and these commands. It just kind of gives this charge to, to make sure that we're, that we're staying faithful, that we're walking in truth, that we're doing what's right. And so now he comes to the conclusion of this letter. And so let's read verses 23 through 28. And then we'll dive in a little bit and and talk about uh, these verses. Paul says here, Now may the God of peace... Remember earlier he had a prayer for them. Here's another prayer that he's kind of concluding his time with. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You get the sense here that that Paul is understanding that these believers, these new believers here at Thessalonica, they may still be a bit overwhelmed. He's kind of hit them with a lot of truth, a lot of things, a lot of kind of the, these commands and these charges. And, and so he, he kind of is concluding here with this, uh, just a heart of, of love and care for them, sensing they may be overwhelmed with this kind of the heaviness of this responsibility and this walk with Christ. Um, maybe they would look at these reminders and they would feel defeated. Maybe they would feel incapable of being able to carry out these things and, and live out that life. And haven't we all been there? Aren't, aren't there times where we just kind of, Man, we, we, we feel the weight of the responsibility of being a witness for Christ. We feel the um, just kind of the, the importance of walking in truth, especially as we're being a witness to those that, that maybe we love and we're wanting to see come to faith in Christ. Maybe it's in front of our children as we're recognizing the importance of discipling them and, and, and we, want to, we want them to see us walking in truth. We want to model those right things. And, and sometimes it can kind of become over a bit overwhelming to recognize the just the magnitude magnitude of the importance of this life that we're called to live. But you see Paul's love for them as he gently reminds them of just really some important truths in these closing verses. Um, as I said, in our lives, it's easy to get overwhelmed also. And, and there absolutely is a part of the Christian walk that demands that we be invested in living holy lives, that we live lives that are set apart for the glory of God. Um, there are commands that God's word gives us that, that we must obey. When we see a command in God's word, we have a responsibility to obey that command. Uh, there are truths that we must apply to our lives. But as Paul reminds them, we too must also remember that we're not left to accomplish and do all these things on our own. The reality is there is no way that we can do these things on our own. God does not expect us to do these, follow these commands, to walk in these truths in the power of our flesh, because he knows that our flesh cannot do this. Uh, He knows that, that we cannot on our own live out this life to which we have been called to live. He doesn't expect us to live this life on our own. While God calls us to good works, he reminds us over and over again that he himself is personally involved in our lives, that he is the one through the power of his spirit. He is the one who empowers us to live this life that he is calling us to live. At the beginning of chapter four, in verse number three, at the very beginning of this kind of list of responsibilities, Paul said that it is God's will that we be sanctified. And the word sanctified there, we've talked about this, meaning to be set apart for his use. 
And so it's God's will that we as Christ followers be set apart for the use of God uh, in this world while we still are here. That's why he leaves us here, right? To fulfill uh, his, uh, his, his commands, to live out, to be a witness for him. And then he, he gave these things that are a part of that sanctification. But, but as, he, as he says that this is God's will that we walk in sanctification, and then he kind of lists out these things that are part of our sanctification, notice what he says here in verse 23 and 24. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So we see this, this kind of tension here between sanctification and involving the things that we are called to do and the way that we're supposed to live and the way that we're supposed to walk. But then this also this, this understanding on the flip side that we're not the one that's doing the sanctification, that it's God that's doing this work in us. So are we sanctified by doing these things? Are we sanctified by the power of God at work in our lives? And of course, the answer is yes. Um, it, it, it involves both. There's this process that God uses in us, calling us to good works, calling us to, to walk in a way that is worthy of this vocation to which we've been called, but recognizing that we can't do it in our own power and our strength. So we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit, upon God being at work in us to work out this process of sanctification. Yes, we are called to work out our own salvation, but that salvation is only worked out as the Spirit of God empowers us. And, and so it's it's, it's a, kind of one of those things that, that our minds wrestle with and that we can't fully even, even comprehend. But yet we, we are called to do this. We are called to walk in these truths, but in a sense of dependence upon God to do what he has called us to do. And so lest we think that our sanctification is completely up to us, that is way too heavy a burden for us to bear. We cannot accomplish these things. We cannot do these things. Paul reminds us that it is God who does the sanctifying. If you're looking at these verses here, I love that he calls, he calls God the God of peace here. This was such a great reminder to the people of Thessalonica, and ultimately it's a great reminder for us as well. Uh, when when we're in this world of turmoil, and, and isn't, isn't this world gone crazy? I mean, all the things that we're seeing and all the things that we're experiencing, and certainly the, the people there at Thessalonica would have thought the same thing. This world is crazy. And so when we are overwhelmed by the world that's around us, when we are overwhelmed by the burden to do what is right and to walk uprightly, when we, when we feel the anxiety of trying to carry this weight on our own, it is so good and it is so important for us to remember that he is the God of peace. He is the God of peace. He is the God who comforts our soul. He is the God that brings, as, as Paul said in Philippians, a peace that passes understanding. It doesn't make sense to the world. When, when we're living in the, the craziness of a pandemic, when we're living in the chaos of political unrest and, and, and wars and rumors of wars happening around us and civil unrest and all the different things that, that this world is, is, is seeing happen, that we're seeing happen, play out in front of us. How do we as Christ followers live without anxiety, without fear? We do so because we have the God of peace residing within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Is the God of peace that comforts our hearts. It's the, that great comforter that, that, that soothes us and, 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 and allows us to, to rest in his power, to rest in his might. So, so there's an encouragement here as we seek to follow Christ and walk in the way that he's called us to walk, that we rest in the God of peace. And then he, he adds the word himself. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now, he could have easily left out that word himself and just said, may the God of peace sanctify you completely. So, so why did he say the God of peace himself? 
when whenever that himself is added in in the understanding here in the in the language it it is it is a it is a modifier god himself modifying himself and it's there to give emphasis and to remove any doubt of who it is that doing that is doing the action it is the god of peace he himself so it's kind of that 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 it just kind of just accentuate the point the god of peace he himself is the one who is sanctifying us what a great thought and to understand today that that god doesn't just leave us alone god doesn't save us and then just say i'll see you when you get to heaven God is not, didn't just kind of set things in motion, and then he's not just way out there in the cosmos somewhere, just kind of watching and waiting and kind of going to step in whenever it's necessary and rescue us from this world. God, the God of peace, he himself, he is personally engaged and involved in our lives. Let that sink in for just a moment. He knows exactly what you're facing today. He knows the good and the bad of this past weekend. He knows the burden and the weight that you are carrying right here this morning. He even knows the things that you're going to face today and the things that you're going to face in the, in the coming days, the things that you're going to face this week that are going to throw you off kilter, that are going to get you uh, anxious, that are going to cause you fear and frustration. He knows those things and he is actively engaged and involved in your life, using all of those things, bringing all of those things, working all of those things together for your good and for his glory. The God of peace, he himself, he is engaged. He is invested in our holiness, in our sanctification. He knows exactly where we are. He sees our struggle, and it is he who empowers us to walk in his truth. It's important for us to recognize. It's important for us to understand this process and this work of sanctification as we live in this tension of the already and the not yet. We said earlier that, that sanctification is being set apart for God's use. There, there are three different types of sanctification that we see in Scripture and that we understand kind of this, this past, present, and future process of sanctification being worked out in the lives of those of us who are Christ followers. First of all, there is positional sanctification. Positional sanctification. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 10 says, And by that will we have been sanctified, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Through the work of Christ, we have been set apart for God once and for all. This occurred in our past, for those who are in Christ, this occurred in our past at that moment of salvation. When we came to Christ, we were set apart for him. This is also that, that process, of, that justification. It's what happens at the moment of salvation. The moment that we place, that we recognize that we are sinners, that we need a Savior, that Jesus is that Savior, and we place our faith and trust completely in him. At that very moment, we are positionally set apart for his use. We are, we are, we are, we are saved, um, saved and we are bound for heaven. We are ready and we are, and we're moving in that direction. So, so there is that positional sanctification. Those who are in Christ, we are in him, secure in him. But then there is that practical sanctification. This is that process that we're talking about that Paul is addressing here of us becoming more like Christ, that process of growing in our walk with God. It involves dealing with our sin on a regular basis, growing in our holiness, our separation from the world. 
2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So there's this moment that we positionally are set apart for, for God. But then there is this process as we live this life of us continually being set apart for God, of this process of us being set apart more and more and being more and more growing to be more and more like him. And, and that this, this process of holiness happening uh, in our life to draw us more to him and helping us become like him, recognizing God's work in our life. We strive to walk in his truth. And as we grow in our understanding of who God is, as we grow in our uh, just our grasp of what God has done for us, we are spurred on to good works for his glory. So we have positional sanctification, that justification that happens at the moment of salvation. Then as we're living this, this Christian life, we have this practical sanctification that is taking place. And ultimately, there will be this perfect sanctification. There will be a time where we will be completely and wholly set apart for all eternity. This, this is pointing to that time when, when he will ultimately, perfectly set us apart to live for eternity with him. Boy, don't we look forward to that day. Aren't we, aren't we excited and, and, and don't we have hope in that coming time of this, this perfected sanctification in our life? 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Right now, we just, we just have a glimpse of who he is. And that glimpse of who he is, as Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up on his throne. That glimpse of seeing who he is, it spurs us on to, to strive to be like him, to grow in our, in our likeness of him, to grow in our holiness and our, in our, in our, in our Christian walk with him. But ultimately we will be unified together with him. And when we see him, we will be like him. We will be holy, we will be righteous, and we will be set apart for all eternity like him. This is the work that God is doing. This is the work that God has called us to and that he is continuing to work in our life. This is that idea of glorification. When we, when we shed these, these old broken bodies of flesh and we're given new bodies that, that, that we're able to, to walk in, in complete harmony with our God, we're able to, to, to be with him for all eternity. So this process of, of this positional sanctification, uh, this practical sanctification, and ultimately this perfect sanctification, this is the work of the God of peace. He himself is doing this work in us. So back in our text, in the last part of verse 23, Paul speaks of this very idea of this completion that will happen. He says, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He really is, is speaking and praying here the reality, the truth. He's recognizing this truth that God is going to do this work, that God is going to complete this work of sanctification. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 tell us that, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of of our inheritance. So as the as the people here at Thessalonica, as they are striving to walk in truth and do what's right, and they're dealing with the anxiety of am I doing the right things? Am I living the right way? How do I live in this wicked world? As they're as they're under the weight of that, Paul is reminding them very clearly here. 
because of your faith in Christ, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in you, you are kept and you are secure, and he will see that, that, that sanctification through to completion. At the coming of Christ, we will see the fulfillment of this work that he is accomplishing in us. It will be complete and it will be full. And unless there is any doubt remaining, Paul then just emphatically reminds us of the faithfulness of God. Look at verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That is a reminder that we ought to have plastered in front of us every moment of every day. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm striving to walk with God, but there are days that I stumble. There are times, moments, my moments that I stumble and fall and, and I try to be faithful, but I don't have the capacity within me to be faithful at all times. I'm going to let people down. I'm going to let you down. There are people in your life that are striving for holiness and are striving for sanctification, but they are still in this process and they're going to let you down. They're going to try to be faithful, but there's going to be times that they can't meet the needs in your life and they can't carry you through and they're going to disappoint you and they're going to let you down. This, this wicked world around us, we can't put our faith and stock in it because it is going to let us down and it is going to fail us every time. But there is one. The God of peace, he himself, who is doing this work of sanctification, he is faithful. He is faithful at all times, and he surely will do it. What he says he will do, he will do it. He will always keep his word. He can be trusted in every situation. He will see this work of sanctification all the way to completion. Philippians 1, verse 6, and I am sure of this, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What peace, what joy, and ultimately what relief it brings for us to recognize God's work in our life, for us to recognize the faithfulness of God and the reality that he surely will do it. Man, what a great word for us today. So Paul's giving them these commands, kind of he's closing out with this list of things to, to do and to make sure these are part of your life. He reminds us that, that we can't do it on our own. And, and then he goes in the, in the last couple of verses, last few verses here, and he closes out this book by reminding the readers, reminding us, reminding the, the church here at Thessalonica, that God, God does this work of sanctification. God does all these things in the context of, of community, in the context of community. Look at verses 25 through the end of the, of, the, of the chapter. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He uses the word brothers in each of these next three verses. And ultimately, we've seen throughout the book, he's used this word brothers over a dozen times as he has talked to this, this, this church, this, this body of believers at Thessalonica. And in using this word, he is putting himself right in the midst of this community together with them, recognizing himself as part of this, this local family of believers that, that, that he helped establish and, and bring together at the beginning. This community, this context of community, this family where the sanctification process happens, this, this process ultimately happens, it's found, this community is found within the local church. 
And so God, as he is the, the God of peace, as he is working our sanctification, he is doing so in the context of, of community, this community that we find in, this, in, the, in the local church, in the body of believers together. He kind of gives us three things here that are part of that community, of that body. In, in verse 25, he reminds us of the importance of praying for one another. Ultimately, he asked for their prayers. Brother, pray for us. Brothers, pray for us. There's this understanding that when they gather together, when they come together as, as this local body here, that they are spending time in prayer, calling out to the Lord. And Paul is saying, hey, I want you to pray for me. There's certainly, they've already seen as they've read this letter, they've, they've seen and heard Paul's prayers for them. But he is admitting and he is saying, hey, I need your prayers as well. I am asking you to pray for, for me. God works according to the prayers of his people. And when we gather as the body of Christ, it is imperative that we pray for one another, that we pray that our faith would be strong, that we pray that we would walk in truth, that we pray that we would rest in the peace and the grace of our good, good father, our good God. And so we see the importance of praying for one another in this community. In verse 26, he then reminds us of the importance of encouragement and fellowship amongst the church family. He says to greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Of course, we know this is a part of those, those traditions, and they were, uh, this was a, a way that they would have this greeting when they would come together. So again, the, the understanding and just kind of the natural reality of what Paul is telling them to do is that there is a time that they are coming together, and they are coming together for encouragement and fellowship. And he is saying, when you gather together, may it be a sweet time. May it be a time where you express and live out this brotherly love that we've been discussing. May it be a time where you come together uh, apart from the world and come together to encourage one another, to build one another up. And he says, as you come together, may there be this sweet peace among you to where that you, you greet one another, you embrace one another, you, you celebrate the opportunity to be together. You enjoy the sweet fellowship that comes from being together with other Christ followers. It's imperative that, that we gather together in local expressions of the body of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. For he, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The, the writer of Hebrews and even Paul here in, in Thessalonians recognizes that as the closer we get to the Lord's return, the more wicked we see this, wickedly we see this world behaving, the more important it is for us as Christ followers to gather together for encouragement and for fellowship. Over this last year, we have seen the struggle that comes when this is not a reality. When, when we have not been able to meet, uh, we have seen how that it, it, it's, 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 it's more of a struggle to live out our faith when we're not doing it in community, when we're not able to gather together for encouragement. We're not able to gather together to, to, to pat each other on the back, to hug each other's necks, uh, to, to spur each other on to good works. When we are not able to meet, there is this longing for us to be together because this is a vital part of our sanctification. And I hope and pray that even as we have experienced the separation oftentimes and some places it's even still happening at certain levels, as this separation has occurred, may this, may this cause us to never take for granted the gift that we have of doing life in community. 
living our Christian life in context of a local fellowship of believers. And, and may not only we not take it for granted, but may we not neglect it. May we not push it aside. May we embrace the opportunity to gather together for encouragement, for fellowship together. He encourages them to the, the importance of, of prayer together, praying for one another. He reminds them of the importance of encouragement and fellowship. And then in verse 27, he reminds us of the importance of hearing God's word proclaimed that we may grow, that we might grow together. He, he says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Now, this specific letter, this, this letter that he wrote to this specific church, it contained important information for these believers. He wanted them to hear these things, to know these things, and apply them to our lives. And what a joy it is that we have not only this letter, but we've got this whole letter. We have this whole letter that God has given to us. And when we gather together, we must remember the importance of God's word being proclaimed. We must remember the importance of hearing God's word so that we might apply it to our life because it is through God's word that we are able to grow together as a body, that we are able to grow together as Christ followers. And so we must never forget the importance and the centrality of God's word. The Bible is inspired of God. It is God-breathed. It was penned by men who moved under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God's word contains everything that is necessary for us to live this life of holiness, for us to, to experience the sanctification process. We go to God's word as our guide, as what directs us, and even as what empowers us to live this life we're called to live. We must gather together to hear the word of God preached, to hear it explained, so that we can walk corporately, both corporately and individually, in the truth of God's word, in its teachings, and in its commands and promises. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And here's its purpose, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We see the importance of God's word. We see the importance of fellowship. We see the importance of prayer. In the very first verse of this book, Paul spoke of God's grace. He said, grace be to you, grace and peace. Now in the very last book, he concludes the book as well. He speaks again of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What a tremendous reminder that our lives are completely and wholly because of the grace of God. I love this simple acronym. I learned this as a child and it has stuck with me all throughout life. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Everything we have is by the grace of God. Everything we are is by the grace of God. Everything we hope to be is by the grace of God. Folks, may we never forget this. As we live in these troubled times, as we live in this crazy world, as we walk in this dark world surrounded by people who are far from God, as we seek to call others to, to faith in Christ, as we strive to, to live a life that honors God, as we wait and we long for Christ's return, may we do so resting in the wonderful grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's let God do this work in us. Let's walk in truth. Let's do what's right. But let's rest in the grace of God. And let's let the God of peace, he himself, accomplish his purposes, accomplish his work in our lives. And may we look forward to the time when he will make it all complete. He will make us everything new, set all things in order, and we'll be together forever with him. Our prayer focus for this week is on the country of Romania. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and lift up the needs of the orphans in that country. Dear Holy Father God, we love you and thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, God, for the wonderful grace that has been made available to us, Lord, to help us to live the life that you have called us to live. God, we lift up today specifically the needs of Romania. Uh, Lord, you know the, the needs are great in that country and many orphan children there. Uh, many of them are part of the, uh, the outcast system of the Rome, Roma people. And uh, God, we just pray that you would watch over and protect those orphaned and vulnerable children. Uh, God, we pray that you would raise up missional-minded Romanian families that would be willing to adopt uh, these orphan children from Romania. But then, Lord, we also pray for those that are ministering in that country. We are so grateful for uh, our partners at Regen and specifically Petri and his family and uh, other missionaries that are serving there. And we just pray, God, that you would, 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 would just protect their families, that you would give them health, that you would give them uh, great influence, Lord, in their uh, local community and throughout that country. We pray that you would give them the ability and meet their needs and provide the resources necessary for them to uh, care for orphaned and vulnerable children, for them to be able to pour into the lives of these young people that are, um, Lord, aging into 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 uh, adulthood, and, and really, Lord, they'll be able to provide for them the skills needed, but most importantly, God, the gospel, that they'll be able to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, and they will see many come to know the Lord and many that will, uh, Lord, surrender their lives to you. And so, God, we pray for just the whole team there, for the uh, the families of the team members. We pray for um, Romania Without Orphans and other partners there, Lord, that are working and doing everything they can to care for orphaned and vulnerable children. Lord, we, we pray for the relationship that we have with the government there. Um, we pray that you just would continue to strengthen those relationships. Lord, make sure that we uh, continue to do things well and uh, through our accreditation and other um, Lord, processes as we prepare for a reaccreditation and different things. Lord, I pray that you just would give good favor with the Romanian government. I pray that, uh, Lord, they would make decisions that are in the best interest of uh, the orphan and vulnerable children there, Lord, and that you would just continue to strengthen the relationship that, that our, us and our partners have with uh, the government there so that we might be able to just continue the work that, that you've called us to do. Uh, and then, God, we pray for specifically for our Lifeline team, uh, the, the the social workers, caseworkers, and others that um, work diligently with our families that are adopting from Romania and also those in our unadopted ministry that partner with um, with our partnerships there in Romania. And so, God, we just thank you for the doors that have been opened. We thank you for the opportunities that you've given us. And we pray that we would be faithful to go through those doors. Uh, Lord, we pray specifically that you would just continue to open doors. We, uh, Our team wants to be able to travel there and to be able to do more to teach and train the people there. And so, I pray, God, that you just would continue to give us wisdom and guide and direct in that. 
Again, Lord, we just thank you for the privilege of being your hands and feet, God, in this work. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be able to live out our faith by caring for the orphan. And so, God, we pray uh, specifically for those in Romania and the opportunities before us to minister in that country. And uh, we give you the glory and honor for all that you're going to do. For it's in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music